Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. We are a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I'm going to give you another episode where I was actually the guest to talk about immigration. Immigration is a topic near and dear to my heart, as many of you know, and I was on the Freedom Adventure podcast to talk about an article I had written a few months ago on Real Clear Religion, and uh, there were a lot of questions about the border issues and what do we do with immigrants, refugees, etc., So I really thought you'd enjoy what I had to say on that podcast, so you can listen to the episode here. Enjoy, guys. Doug, welcome back to the Freedom Adventure podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Doug, uh, did Kamala Harris tell Guatemalans, do not come, you will be turned back? Yeah, so back in June, she actually went, actually, I don't know exactly where she was, but she was talking to Guatemalans, and the idea was for her to sort of offer them a message of hope in Central America. And what happened was she was like, yeah, if you're trying, if you, if you're thinking of making the trek to America, we will turn you away. So the headlines make it sound a little more blunt, but at the same time, if you even read it in context, she's basically saying, yeah, you're not going to be welcome here. And what was strange to me is she didn't even offer any sort of like, we're working on it so that you can be more welcomed. It was just more like, yeah, don't, don't come here, which, you know, ironically is a very Trumpian thing to kind of say. Yeah, you know how much the Democrats raise heck over uh, Trump and his border, building the wall and his border yeah. controls it. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Exactly. <laughs> so, Doug, does the Bible have a great deal to say about how to treat foreigners? It does. One thing that's interesting to or, or necessary to point out when we think about what does the Bible say about, well, anything really, but even immigration is that there are directives in the scripture that talk about, you know, here's how you should treat the foreigner who lives among you. And we know that those directives are appointed to the Israelites, the nation of Israel, and they were a wandering tribe, and they were a people who had left in slavery, found a homeland, and they were also to be welcoming to those who were wanderers or immigrants, if you will. And those words aren't always the same. There's a lot of nuance to each of those terms. But as we read the scripture We don't want to just say, oh, well, look, God told the Israelites to do this. Therefore, we should do this as well. What's uh, unique about immigration here is that when we deal with those who are foreigners, strangers, aliens, wanderers, sojourners is another word that a lot of translations use. The thread throughout the entire scriptures is not that only Israel was told to do these things and you don't really hear a whole lot else. It's not just when they settled in the land. It was during the prophetic era of the prophets, they were basically saying you need to be welcome. We see it also in the book of Job. Also in Sodom and Gomorrah, little known among most conservatives is that part of it was hospitality. We read in one of the prophets referring to what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was that they were judged for their lack of hospitality. Interesting. And does God uh, warn of judgment of those who mistreat foreigners? I mean, the Bible does seem to lean in that direction. You know, off the top of my head, I don't know of any specific warnings of judgment, but I do know that the sort of agreement 
the covenantal agreement of blessing and cursing that God has made is like, if you obey me, I will bless you. And if you don't, there will be consequences definitely seems to fit that mold. And there are, like I said earlier, there's plenty of commands and laws created to allow for the immigrant and foreigner. And uh, I guess, should uh, the Christian default be to uh, welcome more, not fewer immigrants? I believe so. The reason I believe that the default Christian position on immigration policy is to be more open and welcoming has to do with the attitude of God toward Israel, has to do with how God expected Israel to treat the foreigner and the stranger, and also how Jesus treated those who were on the margins to Jesus who treated those who were in need. Immigrants are not always in need. Many immigrants come here with no like poverty needs that they're trying to alleviate, although that is a huge part of it. But there are many immigrants who want to come here and they've already got a job lined up if they were allowed to come or they would easily find a job. We're not only dealing with immigrants who are destitute, but when we think about the way in which Christ asks us and commands us to treat our neighbor and to love our neighbor, what ends up happening is we tend to ignore those commands when it comes to people outside of our borders. And I don't know if that's a uniquely American thing. It could just be that humans are tribal. It could also just be that uh, we've kind of lost sight of what it means to even be an American as well. So I would say that for Christians, the default should be opening, welcoming. Hey, if you're peaceful, you can come over here and interact with others. If you commit a crime, we're going to treat you just like it would, you know, a, a citizen if you committed a crime or a felony or however those things, you know, work out. So yeah, I think that is the default. Now I'll caveat that with. I understand that people might be listening and say, but what about, but what about, what, what about? Well, those are things that we can talk about. But the default should be to start with, I'd like to, and I want to, and I'm willing to allow more people on this side of the border I live on. You mentioned like all the foreigners uh, that lived in Israel, like Ruth and Rahab, and but also that Jesus had to flee to Egypt, uh, family had to flee to Egypt to get away from uh, Herod. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Jesus, the comment I have there is that uh, God is a God of refuge. And as imitators of God, we need to be providing refuge for people in need. And sometimes that means refuge for people who aren't citizens in the same country we are. And I mean, you can clearly see that happening throughout the scriptures. And there doesn't seem to be a negative bias in that storytelling. Uh, of course, Ruth, you know, no one would interpret the book of Ruth as seeing Ruth as a taker or seeing Ruth as somebody nefarious, or like there's no negative reading on that book. Usually when we read about immigrants being, or, or just anybody who is in need, being harbored is essentially done positively. That's true. And, you know, this unwillingness to allow more legal immigrants come with negative outcomes. Well, that depends on if we're talking about it in terms of uh, an economic evaluation or something else. But in all things, there are trade-offs. So there are benefits to saying, nope, no immigrants here. Whether those benefits outweigh the cost, I believe, is is actually in reverse. I believe that there are more costs associated with not allowing, not allowing more immigrants into the country than allowing more. The data has been studied over and over and over. And even the people who are more closed borders, if you will, Open borders versus closed borders is just a way of talking about it. So I don't mean completely closed, but these people who are very skeptical of more immigration have actually done calculations. And even them, 
even they have found that it's a really minor improvement if you allow more immigration. They just think that there are overwhelming other reasons why we shouldn't do it anyway. And those mostly those are cultural rather than economic. So on the economic level, there's clearly negative consequences and negative outcomes for not allowing more free movement of people. If anybody is a libertarian or anywhere close to learning basic economics, we know that trade creates wealth, free movement of people, and the ability for people to be open across borders and commerce creates more wealth. So we are all losing when we close more and more borders. Singapore is a good example of that. They have pretty much open borders. They don't have the welfare also. <laughs> That's what's maybe what we need to pull a wall around. But also, you, you mentioned the article about uh, people in the margins, which, you know, I mean, I think you mean like the poor and the persecuted and that, that as Christians, we need to show compassion to those type of people. Yeah, yeah, I do. I don't think that the way we do so is by saying open borders is the way to show compassion. Okay, so it's interesting that some people think that a person who's a Christian says, well, we should love our neighbor and we should help those who are in, in need. And But what you're saying is if if we open the borders, that is an act of charity. I don't think of it that way. What I think of it as, it is their right to move freely if they're going to act peacefully as a human being. And it is their responsibility, it is their obligation to help themselves as much as they possibly can. And if they're doing that, I am able to be charitable by either offering them a job. That's not really charity in the traditional sense. I'm able to help them by either offering them a job. I'm able to help them because they're in more proximity to me and I can help them as recipients of charity. But the act of saying, I'm going to vote for open borders is not the charitable act. It is not necessarily the compassionate act, although it does involve how do I consider those on the other side of the border? If I vote, it does reflect a little bit of my heart. That can get a little bit complicated because, you know, I'm dealing with motivations here, so I can't understand everyone's motivation. But the idea there in terms of charity, compassion, how do we treat the immigrant? Forget the immigrant. They're just humans. And they want to travel over here and they want to trade with us and they want to buy our things and they want to interact. And many of them, if not most of them, want to learn the language that's mostly spoken in the United States and also interact with people. And they want to raise their children here because they believe it's a better place. I don't think we even need to call for the idea of charity and compassion necessarily just on those grounds. But when it does come to those who are actually poor, what we're actually really saying is like, hey, we're going to open the door for you to allow yourself to be lifted out of poverty through your own efforts, not through just our charity. And to stand at the gate and say, you know what, I'm voting against your ability to come across here and make a better life for yourself and get yourself out of poverty. Well, one, it's not, it's, it's anti-conservative. It's anti-American. And honestly, I think it's anti-human. Mm -hmm. As Jesus said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for life. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, it's like, it's almost like, hey, we want you to uh, learn to fish, but you can't come near our waters. And they don't have water. It's like, well, okay, we'll learn to fish. Okay, can I come to your waters and fit? Nope, can't do that. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a lose-lose proposition. But yeah, that's what I would think. And uh, could our country handle the influx of immigrants? Well, it has in the past. I don't see why it couldn't in the future. There's plenty of land. There's plenty of opportunity. I do know that the typical objections to allowing an influx of immigrants is that we can't handle it. 
there are particular analysis that I could say that maybe we couldn't handle it in like a short run, but that doesn't mean we would simply open the borders tomorrow. And I don't actually see that even happening. Usually what ends up happening is the borders get open slowly. But even if they were open, wide open, right, the market is going to take care of the amount of immigration that can probably happen because you're going to see housing prices increase. You're going to see the ability to find jobs a little bit more scarce. So it's going to sort of take care of itself in certain ways. The kind of question of, well, can we handle an influx of immigrants is almost, it seems to me, it's like what people on the left tend to say with, well, I don't think the free market could handle healthcare, or I don't think, well, how can you make sure that, you know, more people would get covered under healthcare if we had a free market in healthcare? Well, the market will take care of itself. That doesn't mean that it has, you know, magic voodoo powers, but it does mean that there are economic forces of nature, so to speak, that will throttle and limit the amount of immigrants that come here. And what will probably happen, would probably happen, I should say, is you get initial influx. It'll be a little disruptive. It's not going to be without its trade-offs and costs. And then things will level out. You mentioned the past. Do you think America has benefited from immigrants? I think so. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it is a nation of immigrants. <laughs> so at some point, we're either immigrants or children of immigrants. I don't know about your, you know, ethnic heritage, David, but my ethnic heritage is not from this land. And so if you think you're a net positive, your existence in America, then you are the result of immigration working. That's true. And then, you know, I mean, like, even like you go through the list of Carnegie and Tesla and all the immigrants who were movers yeah. and shakers and, yeah, yeah. and changed America and helped yeah. make it rich. <laughs> well, and you know, that brings to mind, you know, you're bringing up people like the founders of Google and some others. Usually what happens with immigration is that there are, it's like a bell curve. And at the left end and the right end is where immigrants usually come. They're usually high skilled, high value skills or low value skills. So a lot of times in our mind, we think of immigrants as those who pick strawberries, those who sweep floors in the evenings in large corporations, those who don't speak English. And that can be true. Of course, it is true. I mean, that image comes from something. But there's also the other end of the scale, which is wealthier or maybe I should say higher, higher order goods economically. People who can invent companies like Google, people who can invent all kinds of things. And Americans, by and large, are really in the middle. And so it really fills out the economic value scale to allow immigrants. So there's an economic benefit or analysis that, that actually works there to say immigrants fit into the American way because they fill in the low ends of the bell curve, if you will. Or they raise the low ends of the bell curve might be a better way to put it. Yeah, and they do, you know, the higher ones do, like they have a limit on how many agents they allow in their tech companies and... uh from what I hear, they just go to Singapore or Australia instead. Uh, well, I know about Australia now after lockdowns, but that's what that's their solution. Well, we just say go to America. We'll just go work for the, America's competitors. One area that is actually, if you could pick an area of the economy that is relatively open borders, and that would be academia. There are a lot. I mean, I've learned this from Brian Kaplan that essentially, if you're in academia and you're from outside the country, you pretty much have a free pass to come into the country and teach at a university. And I don't really think that the influx, if you will, or the existence of immigrants in those fields has ruined them or created problems that are on the order of the scale that people worry about. 
Okay, and Doug, do you believe that uh, more open borders would reflect the love of Christ? Hmm. That's an interesting question, because when we say reflect the love of Christ, there's a danger in saying, well, I want immigration policy for America to reflect the love of Christ. And you could be accused of you could be accused of saying, well, does that mean you want this to be a Christian or Christianized nation? And the answer I would say is no. I think the idea of a Christian nation is not a possibility. But I do know that for us to say we are more open and welcoming is reflecting the love of Christ. If there were a reason to believe that opening the borders would put immigrants in more harm than it would be to allow them to flourish, and there's no reason to believe that, at least for America in this year, in the year 2021, early 21st century, there's no reason to believe that that's the case. But I, I can understand that there's possibly a way to say, hey, don't come here. It's going to be worse for you. But in that case, are we really going to have the potential for an influx? I mean, we're, we're living in a global world where news spreads you know, rapidly to other parts of the world. So it's probably unlikely to happen. But I could see a possibility, this is a high theoretical, that it would be harmful to, for immigrants to come here. But it's actually a net gain for everybody. And so... Yeah, I would say it reflects the love of Christ to have that more open and welcoming attitude. What really reflects the love of Christ is individual Christians and churches, either individually or grouping together in certain ways, and helping those who need our help as immigrants. Whether they're here doing whatever it might be, they need help in all, all kinds of ways. It could be learning English, it could be job skills, it could be just be a host of things. And Doug, do you believe that uh, Christians whether libertarians or not should get involved in uh, politics? Yes. Depends on what you mean by involved in politics. If that means being involved in electoral politics, I don't think that everybody has to vote to fulfill a Christian duty. I believe that it's totally legit to not vote. I do not vote in every election. I do not vote for every line of you know things that are on the ballot. I have actually abstained from voting. I've also voted. So I don't think there's an inherent, you know, in terms of voting. So, but that's what a lot of people think of when we ask about being involved or interested in politics. It has more to do with, you know, should I get involved in electoral politics? One way to get involved in politics is to do things that are a net contribution to people around you. And how is that political? Well, it's political in the very denotative sense of the word, which is the way in which we all relate and live together. So there are a ton of things that you can do that do not involve the state, that do not involve the government. When you do those things for the good of yourself and for your neighbor, you're doing politics by creating an alternative to the violence of the state. And so doing politics does not entail necessarily involving yourself with the affairs of the state. Doing politics, if you look up the Anabaptist tradition or Lee Camp, wrote a book called Mere Discipleship and A Scandalous Witness. Uh, Scandalous Witness talks about how being political is very different from just engaging in politics the, the way the state would like us to or allows us to. So do you think uh, democracy divides us? Do I think democracy divides us? It can. It certainly can. I don't think it's a guarantee that it will. Because if you think about what, you know, if we're free market people, we are for democracy in the economy. We are for people free to vote with their dollars, with their legs, by frequenting a store or not. And so in that sense, we are all about the spirit of democracy. When democracy has been hijacked in such a way that it makes you 
choose between very narrow options that don't always make any sense or that don't actually belong in the clusters that they do, yeah, it certainly can divide. I think why we're polarized, it might be part of the heart of your question. Part of the reason we might be polarized is that you have people essentially assuming that the world outside of themselves and outside of their ideology or the way they think is a threat to them. We've also been conditioned over the last decade in many ways, maybe not conditioned, but we've also grown accustomed to believing that what's wrong with things is not within me, but is outside of me. And then we're looking for scapegoats. We're looking for the reasons. We're looking for the enemy. And the news media, politicians, anybody of an ideological bent are just, oh man, it's so easy. If if you can identify the source of a problem, you could say, hey, look at them. Look at those immigrants. They're over there on the other side of the border marching toward our border, and they are a threat. We better say no to them. Or you might say, look at those particular views of these people. They're a threat. We need to say no to them. And there are certainly things to say no to. But it's so easy to simply pick an enemy and go after it, and then you got people rallied. And you you have those people believing that they're not part of the problem, they're only part of the solution. And when people are polarized in that way, then, yeah, we're totally divided. Okay, Doug, why don't you talk a little bit about your work at the Libertarian Christian Institute and how we can connect with you. Yeah, so Libertarian Christian Institute was founded just as a libertarianchristians.com back in late 2008. So we've been around for almost a decade and a half in, in various forms. It was a nonprofit starting in 2015. and you can find us, I should say, at libertarianchristians.com. What we do are a number of things. I run a podcast that's weekly called the Libertarian Christian Podcast. We are at several hundred episodes at this point, going strong every week on new topics. It's mostly interviews similar to what we're having right now, sometimes discussion, every now and then debate. We also have just released a book called Faith Seeking Freedom, Libertarian Christian Answers to Tough Questions, and it's also now available in audiobook. So we have a huge amount of material out there. There are articles, we have the podcast, we have our book. The book is actually very inexpensive. Right now it's only $4 on Kindle. Regular price is 8 bucks. You can get on audiobook, you can buy it for 12 bucks if you want. You can donate to LCI and get two for 20 bucks. I'll send it to you directly. And a uh, little side note, it actually includes two bookmarks, which we can't have Amazon do for us when people order from Amazon. So the other thing we do is we actually have something called a roundtable on YouTube. Our YouTube channel features four of us. It's actually like a group of six and only four at a time actually jump on and we talk about the news of the day every other week and just analyze it from a libertarian Christian perspective. We call it good news, bad news. So we're doing that. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of things in the pipeline that we want to do. We are a nonprofit, so it's a tax-deductible donation if you want to donate to us. Great, Doug. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Thanks, David. I appreciate you having me on again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. 
The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. 